My name's Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. It's good to have you with us this morning, and uh, you know, here we are getting closer and closer to Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it's getting a little spit of snow outside. That's kind of nice, isn't it? I know maybe some of you are going, no, it's not nice, but I kind of like it, so glad you could be here with us, and uh, if it's your first time here, uh, you're going to notice a bulletin inside with some notes you can follow along. Usually we have PowerPoint that's playing on both sides of me as we're talking, because I have extra verses to share with you. And uh, today we failed to get that done, so really pay attention to those notes. Take them home and study them out. Look at, look at it yourself. You need to check out what you're hearing from people in the pulpit. Uh, also, uh, you're going to notice in your bulletin several things that's coming up. One is uh, there is our Christmas program we're going to be having uh, on the 21st of December. We're going to be ha- moving our services from a morning service to an evening service only. And we'll be gathering together with our children, and we're going to be uh, looking at the four gifts of Christmas. And there's a couple of things you can do to help with this. If you'd like to volunteer and help with some of the acting, I know some of us here have some acting experience, and maybe, uh, some, uh, maybe some carpentry skills or painting skills, or you'd like to help out, uh, see Coral Kimball. Is Coral in? Is she here this morning? Is she anywhere? Where's she at? She's in the back, isn't she, with the kids, yeah. If you don't know who Coral is, somebody will direct you to her. Uh, and uh, you can volunteer to help with that. Also, uh, there's a sign-up sheet at the coffee cart or at the coffee area. And this is for anyone like to be interested in maybe bringing some cookies or some snacks and stuff to our Christmas uh, uh, service on the 21st. And Ryan is our coffee man. Stand up, Ryan. There you are right there. He's our coffee guy. And thanks for the coffee. Yeah. Those of you who oohed and odd probably are awake enough from the coffee. That's good. Way to go, man. Uh, and uh, he's, he's got a sign-up sheet there if you'd like to help out with that as well. But we're going to spend the evening worshiping and looking at the four gifts of Christmas. And uh, the kids are going to be involved in this as well. Coral Kimball is writing this play. It's going to be kind of fun. She's already shown me little bits and pieces of it. Um, also, I want you to direct your attention to uh, just under that... Uh, for the gifts of Christmas is this uh, Bible class here at, on Wednesday nights starting this week on the book of Romans. And Bob Hawkins is telling me this is going to be a practical discussion group, a practical look at the book of Romans. If you'd like to deepen your study of a book, and what better way than to deepen the study by, by looking at the application of a book? Uh, that's the book of Romans. That begins this week. And I believe also Sunset, those classes, this class on 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is beginning at his home this Thursday, right? And so you look in the bulletin, you can see a little bit about that, what's, what's going on. You're probably going to notice uh, the back upper left, uh, something about a toy giveaway. We give away toys every year. And Janet Bader is again heading up this. And we're going to be having a Santa sleigh uh, next week. Uh, in the small dome, you'll see it. And if you'd like to pick a, a, a particular tag of a child's name, gives you an idea of what to buy, a boy or a girl, a particular age, and you can bring it back and put it in the sleigh. And uh, if you'd like to help with that as well, talk to Janet. And we meet lots of people during the Christmas season. And it makes Christmas special for a child. Hope you can participate in that. We're in a series right now called uh, Living Like a King. And we've been looking at the King's Speech basically. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, and it's from the lips of the King of Kings. And, uh, and, and, and in any sermon, uh, any lesson, somebody, when they're talking and, they're, and they get done, uh, as you review the sermon, you might find some passages or some words or some phrases that catch your eye that might make an eyebrow raise up, a 
occasionally. Uh, that there's no except it's true no exception it's also in the words of uh, the Sermon on the Mount Jesus does that I'll have people occasionally come up to me after I get done preaching either through texting or through a phone call or through face to face and they'll say to me were you serious did you mean to say that were you being sarcastic or were you just being funny or what did you mean by using that and saying that I don't know if I'd have used that word you know, and, and I want you to know, a sermon isn't worth spit unless it raises an eyebrow or two or some blood pressure. I think it needs to have some bite in it, all right? And Jesus' sermon had some bite in it, especially these words we're looking at today. Look at these words are here in your notes in Matthew chapter 5. He goes, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body uh, to go into hell. I mean, these are pretty intense words. Gouge it out, cut it off, throw it away. And there's been men and women throughout history that have periodically tried to do the, take these words literally. And they've gouged out part an eye or cut off a hand. In fact, there's some guys in the, in the second and third century that mutilated their privates, thinking that would guard them against lust. But Jesus isn't talking about hands and eyes, really. He's not talking about that. I, let me ask you, can you be blind and still lust? Absolutely. Can, can you have no hands and still steal? Absolutely. Absolutely you could do that. He's not talking about eyes and hands. He's talking about an attitude, an intense, hardcore attitude that you and I need to have in the kingdom as a Christian towards sin. He's talking about, he's ta- he, somebody, somebody says, well, he's talking about, he's, he's, he's exaggerating to make a point. He's using a hyperbole, and that's, that's possible. If some people say, well, that's impossible to apply. And it would be, I think, very difficult to apply this passage literally. This idea of gouging it out throwing and, and cutting it off. It's, it's so radical to hear someone talk like that. But Jesus is talking about a specific attitude we need to have towards sin. A radical attitude. In fact, notice he says, throw it off. And I think that's interesting, or throw it away. The Greek behind that, if I could illustrate, is goes something like this. That's what it means. You ever had something land on you? A praying mantis? A bug? A big bug? Anybody here bug, bugophobic? Oh yeah, bug. Where'd it go? Remember Home Alone, the tarantula? Harry, don't move. What are you doing? What are you doing, Marv? Don't move. Remember, he hits him. Boom. Did I get him? Did I get him? You know. Remember, he puts the... Ah, and he throws it away. Guys, that's what it means to throw away. You know, you're interested in getting as far away from whatever it is you've thrown. That's what throw away means. So it's even a radical term. It's not like one of these where you go, oh, look, and you drop it there. No, you're, you're trying to get rid of it. Get it completely out of your life. Now, you might say, so I've got to do something about my sin. I thought God did something about my sin. I thought he took care of my sin problem. 
Well, he did. He sure did take care of it, and praise God he did. I mean, aren't we saved by grace? We're still learning this at Greater Alton. What does that mean to be saved by the grace of God and not by works? Of course, the grace of God, the love of God, motivated him to work on the cross. So technically speaking, we're saved by his works, not our own. But I guess what I want you to see this morning, this idea that, yes, he took away, he took away our sin. So why do I still sin? If my sin problem is solved, and why do I still sin? Well, I think the reason I still sin may be the reason you still sin. We're still learning. We're still learning to obey. We're still learning to deal with our habits. You know, sin, people get baptized. I've said this for years. And their sins, all your sins are washed away. Blood of Christ, the Bible says, when you walk with Christ, the blood of of Jesus flows backwards and forwards, washing away all your sins. But why do I still sin? Maybe it's because the habits I have and I still need a little more scrubbing. God wants, wants me to do something. He, 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 he hasn't let me off the hook of my responsibility to deal with my sin. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you know, if this causes your, it's your eye, Tim. It's your hand that you need to deal with. Listen to me close. For a lot of us here, we're experts on dealing with somebody else's sin, but we're amateurs in dealing with our own. And Jesus says, look, in my kingdom... Everybody in my kingdom needs to look at their own sin first and deal with their stuff first. It's my hand. It's, it's my eye that's causing that I need to look at. You see, nobody makes me sin. Whenever you say, you made me lose my temper. You made me do that. You made me, you know, you made me lose control of my body. Nobody made you. Nobody makes me do it. It's my hand, my eye. It's your hand, your eye. It's our responsibility. You see that, church? And Jesus puts it right square on there and saying, listen, you've got to look at this. You've got to have a hardcore approach with your sin. Now, why should I be so radical with my sin? Well, number one, because my sin radically affects me. Sin does not take prisoners. It has a goal, and it's death. Even Jesus said in, in verse 29, notice he says there, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body to be thrown into hell. What's he say? It's better for you to lose one part than the whole body to be lost. This is what it will do to you. Sin has a, has, a, has a horrific effect on you. And by the way, in this context, he's talking about lust in particular. And what he's saying is, he's very clear. He says, if you don't fight lust, you're going to go to hell. That's what's going to happen to you. So I really want to I'll tell you, I hope, by the way, don't make this, a, when you think about this, don't let it discourage you. Let it empower you to go, you know what? I'm going to say no to sin because I know what it can do to me. Because see, sin is not polite. It has no rules. There's no Geneva Convention in the spiritual world. You know what Geneva Convention is? You know, when there's a war, you have the Geneva Convention. It says, okay, here's how you should treat prisoners of war. Here's how you should treat people in war. Let's go by the rules. 
Satan goes, rules? Rules? We don't need no stinking rules. I mean, he is heartless, and his intent is to harm, and his goal is to kill. If he takes you prisoner, it's only to execute you later. Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 7. Incredible passage about the struggle with sin. And the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 7, he says these words, Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. He says, I notice that. He says, and I notice something about in something that's inside me. I know this for a fact, that I delight, I delight, uh, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, he says there in Romans 7. What's he saying? He's saying, inside me, I want to do what God wants. Inside me, I want to listen to what God has to say. I know this morning, inside you, there's this desire to please God. It's a fact. It's in there. You're not here unless you have that desire. I know that. But he says, I see another law at work. He says, there's something else i got to admit, though. There's not only this law, that, this fact, this principle that I want to do what's right, and I want to do good, and I want to I delight in the Word of God, but I see another law going on, and it's a war. It's waging war against my mind. And, it, and what am, how's, it work, how's it going? I'm a prisoner. I'm losing the war. It says, I'm making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. What's wretched mean? It means miserable. See, sin doesn't make you happy. It makes you miserable. Sin seeks to confuse you. You read the whole chapter. Paul is confused. He, he feels entrapped. He feels enslaved. There's nothing positive happening. Nothing, nothing positive sin is offering him. And he says, I'm miserable. And he says, I need rescued. Who will rescue me? I'm in bad shape. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He's saying the, the, the ultimate result is death. And that's what sin wants to do to us. That's what sin wants to do to you. And one of the reasons you need to be radical about it is because it seeks to kill you. Guys, if I was to tell you outside right now there's a man with a gun and he's going to shoot you, what steps would you take? Would you take the back door? Would you, would you say, well, I'm a conceal and carry person and I'm going to carry my own gun? What, what would you do? Let me tell you, there is somebody outside this building that wants to kill you. He is not your friend. He is your enemy. And his name is Satan. He wants to destroy you, and he'll use sin to do that. In James it says it this way, the temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seductive flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. One of the things I just want to tell you, it can help you be radical. You need to be radical because sin is radical with you. The second thing I notice again is why should I be so radical with my sin is because my sin will radically affect others. Even Jesus says in Matthew 29, there, or, or chapter 5, verse 29. Notice those words again. It's better to lose one part of your body than the whole body to be thrown into hell. He says, 
It's better to lose that one part so you can save the rest of it. Why? Because it'll affect the rest of it. You hear people, maybe you've said it, I've said it before, it's none of your business what I do. You want to bet? You want to bet? It's none of your business what I do in private. It's none of your business what, what sins I'm caught in. Well, I'll tell you what, your private sin will eventually become public because it affects you and me. Don't tell me that if I were to pull something crazy in public, go to jail for not paying my taxes, have an affair with some woman, be caught with a bunch of porno on my computer, that that would not affect you. It would, wouldn't it? Oh, it would destroy this church, Tim. I agree with you. It would, hurt. it would definitely hurt it. But don't underestimate what you do. Because, see, what you do, we're all in the same boat. And what you do affects your family and affects your Christian family. It even has an impact on me. I, I, I don't know how to, what to do with passages like this one here in your notes. But let me read it to you. It says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children of their, and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. What's He saying? You have an impact on other people. What you do privately has a public impact. Don't kid yourself. And one of the reasons you need to be radical, have a radical, hardcore approach about sin is because the impact it has on your community, on your church, on your family, on your friends. You look at, you look at examples in the Bible. You have Achan who hides a little bit of gold and takes a coat. And Israel suffers a defeat at Ai. An easily winnable battle becomes, becomes impossible, impossible for victory because of one man's sin. He drug them all down with him. You've got David, King David. Here's an example. By the way, you have a king, and you have a guy that's on a regular Joe Blow in the kingdom, and you have a king. Both hide sin, and it destroys Israel. You see, I mean, think about it. If one part of the body is sick, doesn't the rest of the body get sick? If one part of the body gets harmed, doesn't it affect the rest of the body? And if that's true physically, it's true with the body of Christ. Even Paul said, I think in 1 Corinthians 5, he said, remember, a little leaven ruins a whole lump. And he's talking about addressing a young man who is sleeping with his stepmother. I've got to deal radically with my sin. You've got to deal radically with your sin because it not only affects you, it's radical with you. It has a radical effect and impact on the people you love. And thirdly, I need I need to I, I I think the reason I need to have a radical view and a radical approach to my sin is because God is radical with my sin too. You know, Jesus mentions hell in verse twenty nine. That's a radical place, folks. Would you say that th- that environment is a lot different than what we're in right now? That's a radically stark starkly different environment. But I want to take it a little bit further than just him mentioning hell. When God looks at your sin, looks at my sin, what is the approach he takes? Well, it's cool to know. He's, his, love for, his love for us is demonstrated when he sees our, our sin. And he radically deals with it. 
by, by sending his son down a cross. Look what it says in First Peter here. Christ carried the burden of our sins. He was nailed to the cross so that we would stop sinning and start living right. By his cuts and bruises, you are healed. How does God radically deal with, with my sin? He goes to the cross. Galatians 3, in the easy-to-read version, says it like this. The law says you're, we are under a curse for not, for not always obeying it. But Christ took away that curse. He changes places with us and put Himself under that curse. That's how Jesus, when, when, God looks at, when God looks at your sin, looks at my sin, He gets radical and changes places with us. We deserve the punishment. And like Isaiah says, the punishment for us was put on Him. Now I want you to see something here. There's three levels of love here from these three reasons. In other words, there's that love for self. You know what? I'm, I'm going to love myself enough to stop doing stuff. For example, I'm not going to touch that because I love myself enough to know that will burn me. But sometimes the love I have for myself isn't enough, is it? And that temptation gets past that. that so what's it, what's, what's it fall into? Well, my love for other people, my love for my wife, my love for my kids, my family, my church. But even that sometimes is limited. And, and my, love, my, lo- my, my love for myself and for my friends and for my family, sometimes the temptation can be so strong it gets past that. So what's left? The love of God. The love of God. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe just knowing that sin affects you will, will help you uh, sin less. You don't ever be sinless, but sin less. I mean, that's great. But maybe, maybe you've never thought about how it affects everybody else. That your hidden sin really isn't so hidden. But I want to say to you this morning, if, if those two things can't motivate you enough, let the love of Christ, let the, what He radically did for sin, it must, it must be dealt with. Why would He deal with it so radically? He want, and imitate this. Share His view of sin. See it like He does. It'll change your life. So how do I deal with sin radically? How do I do that? Well, I deal with my sin radically. I got, I got, I think, four points this morning. And I promised Joe McKenzie I'd try to hurry because he's sleepy. So He's been sleepy. He asked me this morning on a scale of 1 to 10, how long is the sermon going to be? And I said, on a scale of 1 to 10, how committed are you going to be? And he goes, man, you cut me deep. And then he dozed off and we woke him back up. Now, I know that some of you guys are tired and... Um, you know what? Well, let's just see where this goes, all right? Let's just see where this goes. Four points this morning. How do I deal with my sin radically? Well, I deal with my sin radically, first of all, when I do my part to address my sin. The Bible calls this repentance. I want you guys to listen. I praise God that He's dealt with my sin. Don't you? Praise God for the amazing grace of, of God. Praise God for the cross. What a What a paradox. A thing that brought death brought life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for the sacrifice and dealing with my sin. But I want you to know, he says to us, but Tim, you must deal with your sin too. There is some cutting off and gouging out and throwing away you can do. There's a part in this whole sin situation that you're responsible for. I can't do everything. And guys, maybe it just starts with just admitting, I'm, I, I messed up. 
I believe it does start there. It starts with, I've, I need to admit my sin, I need to address it and see for what it really is, and then take the steps to start changing it. Now, I want to tell you right here, I'll be the first to tell you, dealing with sin isn't easy. It's not fun. It's hard, and it's difficult. But God did not ask you and I, or did, doesn't tell us to do something that's impossible to do. If anything we're learning about the Sermon on the Mount, the things He's asking us to do, the things He's commanding us to do as, as, a, as a king and as a subject in His kingdom, it's not impossible to do. We can do that, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. In Romans 13, I'm going to read the Phillips translation, and, uh, and you'll, your notes only has half of what I'm going to read. Let me read the first half that should be up on the screen. Here's, here's what it says, okay? Why all this stress on behavior? Listen to that. Why all this stress on behavior? Because as I think, you have, as you've realized, the present time is of the highest importance. It's time to wake up to reality. He said it's time that you wake up and smell the coffee. It's time that you see and admit what's going on. Every day brings God's salvation nearer. The night is nearly over. The day is almost dawned. Now here's the rest of your passage. Let us therefore fling away the things that men do in the dark. He's saying, throw away. There's that word again. Throw it away. Let us arm ourselves for the fight of the day. Wow. Fight? It's going to be a fight. Difficult? Absolutely. Arm yourselves with, for the fight of the day. Let us live cleanly as in the daylight, not in the delights of getting drunk or playing with sex, nor yet in quarreling or jealousies. Let us be Christ's men from head to foot. And look at this. And give no chances to the flesh to have its fling. What's he saying? He says, first of all, arm yourselves for a fight. This isn't going to be easy. And what's the fight? What's the fight? I'll tell you what the fight is not. The fight is not with other Christians trying to help you. The fight is not... The fight is not trying to wrestle through and find a loophole in the Scriptures. The fight is the fight against sin. The fight is, is the war that you and I are in and the enemy that's trying to take you and I out. And notice he says, he, goes, he says there, you don't want to give any chances to this. I watched a, a movie last night, Burt Reynolds. Navajo Joe. It was written. It was uh, made in Spain by the same guy that did how the uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, that Sergio guy, and the Good and Bad and the Ugly. If you've ever seen a spaghetti western, you know the man. They're, they're this amazing. You know they always had the music. Oh, and they had this going on all the time, and they have close-ups, and they're. And there's a close-up, then a close-up of the other guy. Well, Burt Reynolds is Navajo Joe, and this, and this movie starts with his wife being killed by this guy that's got like 75 people in his gang, 75 cutthroats. And I'm thinking, why so many guys? Well, I figure it out. It takes two hours to kill all of them. One at a time, two at a time, three at a time, he's knocking them off. How come we cannot beat this man? You know, they're all frustrated, you know, and he's... Two more die. Two more are hung. And at the end of the film, finally, Burt Reynolds' character, Navajo Joe, is facing off 
with the villain that killed his woman. Because you killed my woman, and I'm going to kill you. And they're, and they're shooting. And he, and of course, it said, hey, get this. What a, what a bad place to fight. They're fighting at an Indian uh, sacred cemetery. So Navajo Joe knows where everything is. And he's climbing through little crevices, and he sneaks up behind the guy, and he goes, where are you, Navajo Joe? I'm going to kill you. I'm right behind you. And he's got his rifle right there. And I'm thinking, shoot him! Shoot him! Here's your chance! What's he do? Throws the rifle. What are you doing? Beats the, this beats it. And it's, you know, again, being in Spain, they overdo everything. Then, you're thinking, okay, he's, he looks like he's out cold. And you know what Navajo Joe does? He looks over and he sees a tomahawk. And he turns his back to the guy. They go over the tomahawk, and the guy goes, shoots him three times. I'm like, you idiot. Never turn your back on the enemy. Here's your chance to take him out. And what do you do? Oh, of course, he does the tomahawk, and hits him right in the head, and he's dead. But Navajo Joe dies. What a crummy ending. What a crummy ending. You see his horse by itself. Oh, you're going, is Navajo Joe dead? Is this like Shane? Do we know? I hate this movie. You gave him a chance. And he took it. Guys, you can never give Satan a chance. I've had couples, I've talked to them, you know, they, we just can't seem to stay pure. We just can't seem to stay pure. And I'll say, well, you know, are you together at, at night and... Is the lights off? Are you by yourselves? Yeah. Well, that's your problem. Turn on the lights, go home, take a cold shower, and you'll be okay. Really? Is that what it is? I don't think it's that harmful. That's what happens. And they come back and we talk some more. Now, you've got to be radical. Because Satan does not take prisoners. And if he does take you by prisoner, it's only to behead you later. Only to kill you later. I one time I, I remember talking to this one uh, couple and they were dating and well, you don't act like you trust us. What? You don't act like you trust us. I go, look, I don't think it has anything to do with trusting you trusting you. I don't trust Satan. A lot of times, guys, we get this idea, well, I can handle it. You're going up against one tough enemy, and you cannot give him. The Bible says don't give the devil a foothold. What's that mean? Not to have a hint of sin in your life. Why? It must must be deadly. How far do I go with this hint thing? That's in Ephesians 5. Can I say, I'll just say to you uh, this morning, whatever you think is reasonable, you apply it. It's your business, not mine, to apply it for you. But you need to apply it. What's it look like? Figure it out. You don't want to tell me. Well, if I do, you're going to to say, I'm trying to tell you what to do. (laughs) So you figure it out. Some of you here just need to figure it out. 
If you don't want anybody telling you what to do, you better figure it out. Hello? Don't give the devil a, a foothold. It says a clutch street. Put it to death. It doesn't say, we can be friends. Let's make friends. Put it to death. Put a bullet in it. Gouge it out. Cut it off. Why? It'll destroy you. And look at this passage here in Hebrews 12 in your notes. Let's throw off everything that hinders. I mean, this is, these are radical things, guys. In our society, we're to make friends with sin. We're encouraged to make friends with sin. In the kingdom, he says you can't. You're not on the same page. You're not even in the same book. And he says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Do you hang on to things too long? See, this is on your end. You know that idea of right eye and right hand? Why not? What about the left eye? So left eye, you know, I'm beginning to wonder. Maybe my left hand, the left hand's better than the right hand. Yeah, that's what it's meaning. I've always had a problem with you, right hand. We'll become friends now, left hand. You, you go somewhere. Get out of my sight. No, and we're going to be friends. Is that what it's, he said? He's saying that the, man, when you lust, is it one hand? Is one hand or one eye the one that's lusting? The other one's saying, don't do it. Both both eyes. What's, what's this right hand, left, uh, right eye all about? He's talking about this, where, where we're strong and what we value the most. And guys, it's interesting. A lot of times we think we're so strong we can't be tempted there. And many times that's exactly where Satan goes. And, and, he, and, he, and he attacks us in those values. What are you talking about, Tim? I'm saying, for example, let's take the subject of sex. He can take something so beautiful and so wonderful that God has invented that's designed to bring pleasure and warp it into a problem. He can take something, a blessing, a thing, a person, companionship, friendship, and, if, and you know what Satan can do? He can warp it and twist it till it becomes a problem. That relationship's sour. That relationship's not good for me. I thought it was good. What's happened? Sin has got in there and messed it up. You, you follow me? That makes sense? That's what Satan does. And so sometimes what we're throwing off, we need to look at... I was thinking about this earlier this morning. Let me say this. I'm not sinning in areas I don't like. Does that make any sense? I don't sin in areas I hate. The right-hand stuff. The right-eye stuff. The good stuff. That's where it's at. That's where my weakness and my sin, my, I find my sin, in the pleasures, in, those, in, the, in the things, the good things that Satan has warped and changed and twisted. And I'm somehow I've become selfish in my life. So that means sometimes a friendship needs to be thrown out. Sometimes a computer needs to be thrown in the trash. But I need internet. Internet, 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 internet. It's not in the I'm sorry, I'm, internet, internet. I'm, I'm, nope, I can't find that. I don't think you need internet. Sometimes you've got to shut off the TV. Unsubscribe to the cable. I, this is something I just noticed here recently. It's making me, making me re... I remember 
Oh, I'll get cable. We'll get dish so I can watch football and ESPN and old movies. You know, there's a lot of other channels on there besides those. And I'm noticing some of the channels that used to blur everything and bleep everything out are forgetting to blur and bleep. That's what I've noticed lately. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? And you have to ask yourself, am I going to continue to watch this? Am I going to finally take response? Listen, guys, a giant finger is not going to come down to your control and go, thank you, God. Open. Praise Jesus. The finger of God touched my remote. It's going to happen. It's your finger. He's saying, you've got to do something with this. You're responsible for this. So I have to do my part to address my sin. Number two, when tempted, I look for a way out. That's radical. A lot of people aren't even looking. I don't know if you're still looking. What do you mean, Tim? I'm just asking, you know, are you, are you still, are you still looking? You know, I was talking to young men this weekend at the men's retreat. I got to, I, I did this, the lesson called, uh, True Sons. Uh, my, uh, my, my, Nathan asked me, would you do True Sons? They asked me a couple weeks ago, would you do it? And I go, why do you want me to do True Sons? And I think because they couldn't find anybody else. I said, okay. I'll do true sons, sure. And so I start looking at the scriptures and I find only a couple passages that use the term. And it's about Timothy and Titus. And Paul says, my true son in the faith. So I'm talking to these young men and I don't like recording devices. (laughs) Especially when I'm at a men's retreat and I'm talking to men, I tend to forget I'm being... Recorded. And I can use language that my mother would not appreciate from her Timothy. And some words came out. Slang words about anatomy of a young man. And I raised some eyebrows. I went, oh boy. We might have to edit those words out. Thanks. Thank you for editing those words. What's your point, Tim? Huh? Yeah, well, yeah, that's fine. Thanks. You know, what, 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 what it was interesting to me, I'm listening to these, I'm talking to these guys, and, I, and you know, the Bible, Paul told Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth. And he talks about sexual morality. And I think to myself, you know, now that I'm an old man and no longer a young man, I remember when I was a young man, they'd, you know, these old guys would say, you know, guys, I know you're young and you're hitting your sexual peak. You know, you're in your teens, you're in your 20s. And so I, for a long time as a teenager, I thought, okay, when you get in your 30s, I guess it's over. Well, I hit my 30s. It ain't over. I hit my 40s. <laughs> no, ain't over. I hit my 50s. We're still in business. And now I'm getting, I'm getting close to 60 and I'm going, Katie, bar the door. I'm just, I'm just saying, guys, what, what I'm saying is I've learned, I'm learning over the years, no matter what age you are, you have to deal with your sin and your temptations. And I've learned that boundaries change as we age. And sometimes you've got to mend the fence. You've got to move the fence around. 
So this, I just wonder if some of us here, we've been around a while, we've been Christians a while, and, you know, we think, well, I'm, I'm fine. And, you know, God, I do a pretty good job. He said, no, I want you to do a better job. Tim, you probably need to do a better job now than you did when you're a young man. There's more at stake. So it, it comes down to, and one of those things you need to do is you need to look for the way out. I don't even know if we look for the way out. Some of you older Christians, do we even look for the way out anymore? You know, God always provides it. If you're discouraged, I keep messing up. I keep screwing up. I keep falling short. I, I got good news for you. There's, God always provides a way out. Now, it might be like one of those movies where, you know, trying to escape and a door opens. It's a little bitty door and you've got to squeeze your way through it. Might be a little awkward. But just remember, awkward will not kill you. Sin will. I've had a lot of awkward moments in my life where I've had to say, I, what do I do? Sometimes the way out, and, and it says in 1 Corinthians there that God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Praise God. He'll provide a way out. And sometimes the way out can be awkward, embarrassing. Sometimes the way out can be so simple as no or turn the lights on, or I've got, you need to leave. Ladies, you tell your boyfriend, you've got to, you need to leave. It's sometimes it's that simple. And it's embarrassing to breach that conversation and bring that up. I need to talk to you about something. So, it's the way out. God provides it, and you should take it. And I've learned over the years, my way out, it, it, it didn't stop. There was, the way outs didn't stop after 30 or 40 or 50. They're still there. One time, a bunch of us went to watch a movie called Brothers with Will Ferrell and uh, the guy from, you know, whatever his name is, yeah. Okay, and, and a bunch of us after church, matinee, let's go watch it. We saw some previews, looked funny. Amazing what we'll watch if it's funny. And so I sit down, and I've got my wife with me, and my two sons are with me. And I notice there's a several people that I saw at, ch- at church that Sunday sitting in the crowd too. I go, okay, so we're going to enjoy the movie together. And the movie begins. And it's starting to get raunchy. And I look over to Denise, she goes, I'm uncomfortable. I said, I'm getting uncomfortable. What do you, Nathan and Matt are going, I don't know about this. And then I watch a guy in this movie rub his privates on his brother's drum set, and I look over at Nathan, he goes, that's it, me too, and we get up, all four of us, and we turn around, or turn, and we walk, and we walk out, as we're walking out, we see all the greater Alton people going, now I don't know about you, see you're in a dilemma here, if I stay, I won't be so embarrassed, and I set an awful example, if I leave, People are going to say, what are you doing here to begin with? Then it hit me that someone will see, hey, he got up and left. Because that's what real life is in temptation. It isn't that we avoid temptation. You're going to be tempted. It's what you do when you're in it. A young man one time was telling me he'd been married to his second wife. He said, yeah, my buddies and I went to Hooters for lunch. Let's go to Hooters for lunch. And he goes, Tim, it was awful. Awful? Well, you know, awful. We're sitting there, and these guys are ordering, and I'm uncomfortable. And and they're making jabs and jokes about the women, and I finally said, guys, I got to go. These are good friends. I work with them. I've got to get up and leave. What? Look, I'm married, and I'm a Christian man, 
and I don't think this is a good example, and I, I'm sorry for even coming. I should have not come to begin with. And he got up and walked out. Well, he tells his wife. You know what his wife does? What are you doing at Hooters? And I said, well, wait a minute, time out. He left Hooters. She goes, oh, yeah. I said, that guy's a keeper. Because what you do in temptation, that's what really happens to us, huh? It's not, you're not going to avoid temptation, but what you do in it matters. You've got to look for that way out, and God will provide it. Are you looking for the way out? Or you just say, well, you know, well, who cares? And God's got the door wide open. Here it is. Take it. And it may be. You, t- you set a boundary, guys, of saying, I've had to set these boundaries. I cannot be with you late at night, Denise. Now, when we were dating, we've got to keep the lights on. Tim, you need to go home. You know, we, we just need to purify our relationship. Is it embarrassing? Yeah. But it's sure a blessing too. It's sure a blessing. Look for the way out. Are you looking for the way out? Number three, number three, I deal with my sin radically. And by the way, it's, by the way, people in the world, I'm going to say this again, say this to you. People in the world are going to think you're crazy for setting radical boundaries. They're going to think you're nuts. They're going to think you're socially off. You are spiritually on. Don't you forget that. You are spiritually on your game. See, the world sees life till you're dead. You see life forever. Big difference. So, what's the third one? I depend on God's grace to sustain me. There's times when my love for myself doesn't work enough. Sometimes my love for my wife and my kids is not enough. But the grace of God is plenty. Man, praise God. It is so good to know you're loved by God more than anyone else, anything else. You're loved by God more than His own Son. It, you know, when God's talking about putting for, what He puts first in His life is you. Is you. I want to help you. I want to bless you. And I want to ask you, what does the grace of God motivate you to do? Let me tell you, it'll do two things. It'll, it'll motivate you to say no and motivate you to say yes. Look at what it says in Titus here. When you think of God, think of God's love when you're in a situation when you're tempted. Think of God when you're in a questionable moment. Let the love of God. This week, uh, Danny and Alan in the men's retreat both said something at the beginning and at the end. And they basically said something like this. This is my translation. Guys, it's great that you're studying your Bibles. I hope you're studying your Bibles every day. But don't study your Bibles just to study your Bibles. Study your Bibles to know Jesus Christ. Study your Bibles to know the love of God. Study your Bibles to be close to Jesus because it makes all the difference. And these guys are old men. And they, and they know what they're talking about. And I, I want you to know, men, you, when you know how deep, how wide, how high is the love of God, I don't know. I'm still finding out. But it is, when, it's, when, you, find, when you see it's so deep, and so it covers everything. It covers you. Covers all your mistakes. Covers your, your poor judgment where you fall short. It can motivate you. For the grace of God has appeared and, and offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And then he says, and, and to live. In other words, and to say yes to 
living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I want to say to you, you're a teenager in your 20s. I know how difficult it is for you to be pure. But I want to say to you in your 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, I know how difficult it is to be pure. It is difficult to be pure in this polluted, crap-filled cesspool on earth. Right? But the grace of God will sustain you and motivate you when you're ready to give in. When you're ready to cave in. You look to God's love. He was radical about your sin. And when you love God, you become radical about your sin too. Look what he says. I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind he can accept. When you think of what he's done for you, is this too much to ask? I'm saying to you this week, think. Think about the love of God. Dwell on the love of God. Dwell on how much He cares about you. Think about how, how proud He is of you and grateful when you say no to sin. And think about how it hurts Him when you fall into temptation. You don't even try to fight. Fight the day. Guys, make yourself fight this fight today. Today, starting today. Fight this fight that says, I will obey God. I will please God. And I will not please myself. It will not, life will not be about me. Fight the good fight. And let the love of God give you the ammunition to fill the devil full of holes. Number four. I deal radically. I deal radically with my sin when I incorporate the help of others. What is it about us? Now, if you're not in this category, fine. But the rest of us, what is it about us in America? Why are we so private and so independent when it comes to our sin? Isn't it pride? Why is it that we, we, you know, we think that handling sin, we say, well, handling sin is a mark of maturity. And when I get to the point where I can not be bothered with it anymore and I can be in it and be around it and it doesn't bother me anymore, that's maturity. That is not maturity. That is stupidity. Maturity says this. Maturity, guys, this is the way maturity is. Maturity says, I'm in over my head. Maturity says, I have figured out I can't do this by myself. I need help. Maturity says, I am powerless with my sin. I'm outgunned, outclassed, outsmarted, and I need extra help. You see, this is a radical approach to sin in our world. It's a radical approach. Living transparently is radical. What's socially acceptable is share only what is safe to talk about. And it's this hiding that gets us deeper in trouble. Look what, look what the psalmist says. Instead, let the righteous discipline me. I think the enemy says, let the righteous strike me. Let him slap me. Let the faithful correct me. Then he says, let my head never reject that kind of fine oil. He says, may I never refuse the help of other people. That's why you need a good church. A good church. That's why Great Alt needs to be a good church. A church that 
Guys, where we all say, look, I'm no better than anybody else. It's not that I just put my pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. I'm a sinner like everybody else. And, and I'm, I, I, don't have, I don't have a monopoly on righteousness. I mess up. Maybe I don't mess up in the same areas you do, but we all mess up. And we need to remember that when we're talking to one another about sin. That we're not so like a butcher. We want to be, guys, we cannot be a church that's a butcher with other people's sin, but we want everybody else to be a surgeon with ours. That we have understanding and compassion to let somebody say something that's just so off and so weird and so scary that we don't run. But maybe we just stay beside them as they go through the struggle, the fight. We don't cut and run. We stay at their side. Some of you are saying, I could use somebody like that today. May God help you find that person here. That, that you, you, you can get some help from others. Guys, everybody needs a network of Christian friends. The Hebrew writer said it this way. He said, this is the way it ought to be in the kingdom of God. This is the way it ought to be in the church. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you can be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, I'm blind. You know, sometimes guys, as couples, I tell them, I go, you know, love is blind, but sometimes it can be deaf and dumb. We don't listen. We don't listen when other people try to speak into our lives and help us. Especially in, in areas of purity. Impurity. And I want to say to you this morning, I just want to say to you this morning, do you have somebody you can talk to? Do you have somebody you can, you can say, this is who I am, warts and all? Because you need somebody like that. I need somebody like that. We need to be people who see to it that the people we love doesn't get caught up in sin. Well, if they aren't going to listen, I'm going to quit talking. I don't think the Bible gives us that option. I think it says keep on keeping on. So where are you today? This morning, I want to ask you, what do you need this morning? You know, Jesus said earlier in the Beatitudes, in his, in his speech here, in his sermon, blessed are the pure. He says, man, blessed, happy, joyful, content are those that seek purity. Why? Because they'll get to see God. And guys, if you'll get radical about your sin, you get to see God's power in your life. You get to see His love in your life. You get to see just His forgiveness and mercy in your life. You see His wisdom in your life when you have a hardcore approach about your sin. Where do you need to be hardcore at? Is it, do you just need to start admitting and addressing your sin? Is that where you need to start? Is there been a way this week? You say, you know, I saw the way, Tim, and I didn't take it. Well, okay. Will you take it when it opens again? Why not? Is that what you need to radically do? My friends will think I'm stupid. Yeah, stupid won't hurt you there, okay? What they think won't hurt you. It'll be awkward. It won't kill you. It'll be embarrassing. 
It won't kill you. It'll make it'll make you better. Do you need to have a deeper understanding of the love of God? Because sometimes my love for my my myself and my love for my my kids and my family and my friends is not enough. But the love of God is more than enough. Is that what you need this morning? Have you refused help or are you not asking for help? Maybe today, a radical step. You know, well, you've got to stand on your own. You need to stand on your own. That's our world. Jesus says, stand on me. And when you stand on Christ, you stand next to others that stand on Christ. And we help each other. We help each other. Maybe you need to be helping somebody. I don't know where you are this morning, but I'll tell you this. You, t- you start taking a radical step to deal with your sin, you will see God like you never have. You have a card in your bulletin. It's a simple card that gives you a chance to respond to this lesson. And maybe there's a choice you need to be making right now. That Taking a radical step, would you take it? And if you've decided to take a radical step, maybe the radical step is, I need to become a Christian. I need to know how to become a Christian. Then why don't you check that box? I want a Bible study. I want to know how to, to really be a, a true New Testament Christian. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's, you know, I, just, I need to make some boundaries. I need to bend my fence. I need to start making some clear choices and boundaries in my life to deal with my, my sin in a radical way. What would it be? Why not, if you've decided already something, write it down and let people pray for you to build that boundary there. I don't know what you need this morning, but I'll tell you what. Take advantage of the time we're going to sing a song and fill this card out. Take advantage of it. May God bless you the rest of this Sunday on His day. Let's pray. Father, thank You for... Thank You so much for Your love. Thank You so much for being so radical when it comes to dealing with our sin. And you, you make it clear. You, you set the pace. You set the example. And You want us to, to do the same, Lord. Where, does it, where do we need to be radical, Lord? Is it in something that we like, that, that um, we just hold real dear to ourselves, but it's hindering us from following You? It's hindering us from serving hindering us from being in ministry, hindering us, Father, from really glorifying You. It's a good thing, but it's, just, it's hindering us. Father, do we need to let go of it? Do we need to change it? Would You reveal that to us this morning? Well, I know there's some computers in, that some people have in this room that need to be thrown in the trash. They just need to say, that's it. Because, Father, going without Internet is not the worst thing in the world. Going without You is far worse. Father, I pray you'll, you'll give some men and some women here some courage and faith to make some hardcore decisions, Father. And it's not, maybe the hardcore decision is just having this attitude inside that says, I will not be manipulated anymore by my body and by my desires. I'll not let it control me anymore. And just having this resolve that's so full of faith in you and resolve and motivated by your love to say no to sin, to say no to it more this week than we perhaps have have in a long time. Father, we just pray that You'll be pleased and glorified. We're coming up on Thanksgiving, coming up on Christmas. These are the holidays, Father. People are going to be thinking. Father, we pray that you'll, You'll help us take advantage and recognize those opportunities to share our faith, 
to offer an invitation to church to give some hope and comfort and some direction from your word or just some love to someone who needs it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.